What's up, Mortgage Pros? Welcome to the Stronger Together podcast. Austin Nemec here, excited for today's guest. You know, as we know, the broker community, it's growing. It's growing rapidly. Every single day, there's new, fresh faces joining. It's awesome. But today's guest, Mr. Al Hensling, has been in the broker community and in the industry for almost 30 years, from day one. He brings a very unique perspective of the ups and downs and how to build a business and how to build a culture. You're not going to want to miss this one. But I want to talk about the word culture. It's a buzzword. There's books written on culture. There's podcasts devoted to culture. Um, Folks talk about it all the time because it's so damn important. When you're building your business, whether you're a broker, owner, an LO, there are two things that you do. You focus on what you do and you focus on who you are, the what and the who. Now, the what we do is important. It is. You know, you have to know it. You have to be great at it. And in our business, it's things like, you know, we do Earl's. We're an Earl shop or we're a purchase shop driven by realtor referrals or, you know, we're a lead by model or we do construction loans tied to a builder. That's what you do. It's important. But don't confuse that with who you are. Who you are is your culture. It's your philosophy. It's your DNA. And it's so important that it is defined as you're building your business. Once you know who you are and you live by it, then every single decision that you make is easier. It's faster. It's much more clear. It's simple. Remember, what you do is going to change. Take it to the bank. I guarantee what you do in this industry, in this world, where the speed of the game is increasing that will change. If you're an Earl shop now, that's going to change. If you're a purchase shop driven by realtor referrals, at some point, that is going to change. Technology will change. New products, new markets, those things literally change overnight. So if you've built an entire company based off of the what, that can be a little bit scary. But if you built a company based off of who you are, you can move fast you can adapt, and you can live confidently through these markets. So I bring all this up because I'm lucky to have seen this, a strong culture that knows who they are over the last 11 years being a team member at QL because we have a very defined culture. It's called our isms. And basically, you know, most companies, some companies have like a mission statement. You know, we have 19 core philosophies, basically one-liners, which we live and we breathe. Heck, I remember back in 2008, on my very first day, we literally spent an entire day in an in a uh, conference room with Dan Gilbert, not talking about HR stuff for the business, literally for an entire day talking about our isms and who we are, pure philosophy. And I've watched these isms get injected into, let's say our mortgage company. We're now the largest lender in the United States. We've injected them into QLMS with our broker partners, and we've seen the fastest growth over the last 12 months out of any lender in our space. We inject them into an NBA basketball team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who hadn't won a championship in over 50 years, and we won an NBA title. We injected our philosophy in our isms into the city of Detroit 
which has been bankrupt and abandoned for decade upon decade and upon decade, and we've turned the city around. It's come. It's become a national success story. We've injected our isms and our culture into an online sneaker company, and in just two years, have turned it into a company worth over a billion dollars. StockX. I can go on and on, but again, defining your culture and who you are. You can inject those things in other businesses and other changing markets, and you're not so reliant on what you do. It's incredible. So we have 19 of them. I want to share one of my favorite isms with you. Uh, it was created literally decades ago in the early 90s, but it's, in my opinion, more relevant today than ever. And that ism is the numbers and money follow they don't lead. I'll repeat that. The numbers and the money follow, they don't lead. The numbers and money follow, they don't lead. Human beings, we put so much focus and weight around money and around numbers. But in reality, all numbers and money are, they're measurements. That's it. They're measurements of our actions. And Money and numbers in and of itself, they don't amount to anything. And ironically, the human beings, and we've all seen it in life and in business, that are obsessed with the money and are obsessed with the numbers, typically those are the folks don't, that don't have either. They never find either. They value them as number one and they never reach them, the numbers and the money. But on the flip side, Folks that are obsessed with the other things, like chasing great ideas or new products or new knowledge and are obsessed with growth and being vulnerable and, and, and working on new skills and folks that are obsessed with developing people and relationships and trying new technology, folks that are motivated and inspired by failing and then picking up the pieces and building. Those are the folks that wake up one day and have all the money and the numbers and they follow. And so I tell you this now because we, as a mortgage industry, are in an era of abundance. It is a beautiful time. The money and the numbers, they're flowing. They are easily made right now, we all know that. And if you're chasing the money and the money is number one, right now you probably have the illusion that you have made it, you're set, which naturally, allows you to take that foot off the gas. And in my opinion, now more than ever is the time to double down and invest back in your business. Chase the ideas, hire, invest in that technology maybe you've been thinking about investing in, right? If you're buying leads, double down on buying the leads or the advertising. Invest in innovation right now. Don't use the money or the things as a scoreboard or an indicator to relax. Go all in, baby, double down. The numbers and the money follow, they don't lead. Thanks for joining the Stronger Together podcast and welcome Al Hensling from United American Mortgage Corp. The owner, the founder, sitting out in sunny California. Al, how you doing today? Very well, thank you, Austin. 
Good. Well, we appreciate you having uh, taken the time to join us on the Stronger Together podcast. Listen, you are um, an extremely successful mortgage broker. I know that um, you know you're you're out there in Orange County doing amazing things and have been doing amazing things for years. You're a 36 year vet of the industry. Um, you've owned your own company for 26 years. You're closing over a billion dollars per year, which is amazing. But what fascinates me most about uh, mortgage brokers in this industry is really how folks got into the industry, kind of your start, your roots. So take us back, Al, to the time you decided to get in the industry. Well, I had uh, had worked for uh, a couple of uh, very large corporations, uh, multinational, learned a number of systems, and uh Interestingly, uh, you know, was pretty content in the corporate environment. And uh, one day at the uh, at the gym, I ran into an individual that uh, kind of changed my uh, my life. Uh, so, guy about my age, we uh, we started chatting at the gym, worked out together, went to leave the gym and uh, walk outside, and he climbs into a Rolls Royce. Mm. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, now does he work for a Rolls Royce dealership? What what does this guy do? So uh, ran into him again at a future date. Started chatting with him, and it turns out that uh, that he was in the mortgage business. Uh, we became uh, friends, and then ultimately uh, he became my mentor and uh, got me into the business. And at the time, uh, I had a full-time position and actually started working part-time in the mortgage business, but somewhat reverse-engineered how I learned about the, the mortgage business. A lot of it was osmosis because back in the day, you know, we'd be driving around or going up to Los Angeles to, to go out uh, clubbing as we were two young guys, um, and he would be getting calls constantly. And it wasn't that he was getting them on a cell phone. Uh, this, this is how far back this was. He was actually getting them on a voice pager. Mm. And then, you know, we'd be stopping looking for a payphone for him to make uh, make calls back. So it's amazing how, uh, how business has changed. But he, through kind of this osmosis hanging around him, I saw what he was doing and then decided to get into the business and where I kind of reverse engineered it, I went and learned all of the guidelines. So I gave myself a task that I wanted to understand the back end side of the mortgage business so that I could go out and confidently sell a product and actually know what I was talking about um, when I went to expose myself to these realtors. Which is interesting, Al. I mean, most folks, you know, especially nowadays, right? You graduate college or you're in the industry or you're doing something, then you just dive right into it. You learn on the fly. Mm -hmm. You learn from making mistakes. But, you know, talking to you in the past, you said it was super important that you, quote unquote, reverse engineered it, was a a pro before you started selling. So talk a little bit more about that, why that was important. I think it was a big advantage. I mean, it was a tremendous advantage to be able to go in confidently, help help my self-confidence in being able to make a presentation to uh, a realtor or a potential client that there was some knowledge that was available and that was accurate and that there was going to be a you know high high degree of potential that the transaction was going to cost me. That's good. So 
you saw the Rolls Royce. You're a car guy that piqued your interest. You um, yep. became committed. You studied the business. You learned the business. And then uh, you dove in. So talk to me about the time from when you were a loan officer to when you made the decision to start your own company. Well, it was uh, it was an interesting process. Um, part of part of my my training and my corporate background was all about systems. And what I I realized very early on that the mortgage business when I entered it was kind of a wild wild west. And it was really it, it was fascinating and also frightening to me that these transactions, which were of such magnitude, were handled in such a, a really not a very businesslike fashion. So my thought was always, how am I going to make the process better? And by working as a loan officer for a couple of different companies. I got to see what I, I I liked and what I didn't like, so it was a, a you know a, a conscious decision to start a company and start it small. Um, actually, we started with with two employees, myself and, and a, my assistant, who was very beneficial and, and instrumental in getting our business started. But what we did is we essentially developed it from the ground up. And what year was that, so, Al? That was back in uh, 1993, so 20, 26 years ago that we started that group. So 93 it was, was you, today. was your assistant, and you just started adding and built, building on from there? Yeah, we started in a, in a small office space, and uh, we had a lot of contacts because of the companies that we had been with. People liked the idea that we were going to do something different. And we were going to do it in a in a really a loan officer centric fashion. Most companies are designed or built around the way they want things to be, without a tremendous regard for how the originator, not knowing that people are on the street and how difficult it really is to originate a loan. Um, you know, we we. We experience that today even with internal staffing where, you know, a funder is complaining that, well, you know, the loan officer is pushing me to do this. Uh, neither one really understand each other's jobs. So what we've tried to do now is get them to understand it and to really recognize how hard it is to go out and hunt and kill because it's, it's not a laydown. It's, you know, it's work. There's a lot of competition. Our marketplace, um, I think, is one of the tougher marketplaces to be in. It's very competitive. We have an environment that, uh, you know, a lot of people are in this space. It's a big market. Uh, and, you know, you have to have a, a model that works for the originator. So that was our premise, was that we were going to have a company that was designed with the originator in mind. That's great. So you started it and, you know, speaking to brokers and, and kind of studying their history, you know, everyone's unique. But what I noticed, especially the successful companies, is everyone had kind of a defining moment or, you know, a big break, I guess. Uh, did you yeah. have one in your career? And uh, if so? I, I, had a, I had a very significant one. Uh, we had an opportunity 
uh, back in uh, 2002, we were uh, given the opportunity to become the in-house lender for one of the more successful home builders in Southern California. And that came from a real estate company relationship that we had established. Our business is all referral-based, and we've always been in that space and working with the resale community. There were some uh, developments that, uh, that were built in uh, Orange County, California, in, uh, in Newport Beach, that were very high demand. They needed uh, an in-house lender and we were fortunate enough to be selected to, to become that, that lender. And specifically, there was one development that we were involved with that was the first new home construction in Newport Beach in 20 years. And there were but 125 homes in this development. We ended up pre-qualifying over 3,000 individuals. And, and this was a tremendous amount of work not only from a, a logistics standpoint, but the builder required that we staff, or should I say I staff, their home builder site. So with the model homes, I sat every weekend, every Saturday and Sunday, plus a couple of days during the week, to meet the demand, to meet with clients, and vet them to see if they were qualified to have access to be able to purchase one of these 125 homes. Now, from that, what I was able to do is create a massive database. And certainly with the fact that, you know, there's only 125 homes, but these 3,000 people, ultimately we understood that they were going to buy something somehow, somewhere, sometime. And they're going to have family members. They've got referrals if we treat them well that we're going to be able to benefit from. So we built this database. By partnering with this builder, all of a sudden we got massive street credibility. Mm. And we were exposed to other builders. We started off in many cases being the backup lender. And then by showing them what we were able to do, uh, we instituted a, a number of policies where we actually went to every single signing so that either myself or one of my staff would show up for the signing so that there were no questions. Uh, you know, at, at the time there was a lot of arm loans and you know, somebody always has a question about an arm and the escrow officer certainly is not qualified to answer that. But what we, we saw and what I saw in that was here's another opportunity to sell because if we're sitting at the table, they're satisfied, that's when you ask for the additional referrals. That's great. This, that was the big defining moment and then how we executed on that. Uh, it, was, it was interesting because even the builder at some point then required that any lender that was working with them and their, their buyers attend the closing, which is not unusual. It was, it's not the normal practice in Southern California. Yep. Certainly in other parts of the country it is. But in Southern California, it's either an escrow company or a title company, and they're sitting in front of an escrow or title officer, and that's it. We don't have the opportunity, unless we choose to do so, to show up for that closing. So you had the opportunity to partner up with this builder in a strip of 100 homes 
and some might say, ah, I have to pre-qualify 3,000 folks to find 100 loans, but you looked long-term. We have a, a saying here, the numbers and money follow, they don't lead. You looked long-term and um, not only originated those 100 loans, but kind of built the, the foundation of your company off of the 3,000 folks that you pre-qualified. And then um, you kind of leaned on that brand of that builder to strengthen your brand and make yourself bigger than you were, which eventually made you bigger for real, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's you know, you always want to think bigger. You want to have the perception of being a, having people have the perception that you're a bigger company. And then it just, it somewhat becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. as long as you execute. Absolutely. So, Al, you know, some brokers listening to this podcast just got into the industry maybe a year or two, three years ago. But I want to take it back to the crash, right? And it's interesting to get everyone's perspective, right? 2008, 2009. Um, when did you first recognize back then that something was going on, something wasn't right? And what did you do to prepare for that moment? And I guess, how did it serve you in your business through the crash? Certainly. Well, it was, it was interesting because uh, this was a, a very defining moment for me. I'm, I'm actually at the, getting my hair cut and the hairdresser, this nice young lady that I've been going to for a long time, uh, starts to tell me about the fact that she was in the process of buying another investment property with 5% down on a wonderful loan that uh, you know had an interest rate of 2.99%. And uh, she was just thinking that appreciation is going to take care of everything. Uh, this was, of course, a negatively amortizing loan, and that didn't concern her, even though she was only putting 5% down. Uh, the rents were going to carry it, and she was going to be the next land mogul. And that is when I realized that there is something seriously flawed with this picture. The other item that, that really started to hit home for me was the fact that we started to see interest rates on subprime loans, which were priced better than prime loans. And we were all scratching our head at the time. Uh, and then, you know, as in hindsight, we look at the fact that the reason that the subprime started to price so well was that they were trying to infuse higher quality loans into the portfolios to give the appearance that the rating agencies had a higher quality product, uh, which is, you know, part of what we saw and, and a lot of people, you know, that were not in the business at the time. There was a group called New Century that was just massive. and They were based here in Orange County. Uh, you know, there was probably the largest lineup of uh, exotic European cars that you could imagine for all the people that, that did these subprime loans. And uh, they imploded. I mean, the market collapsed. And uh, it was just uh, one of the, the telltale signs that we saw as a, you know, just a, a screaming red flag yeah. So as the market crashed, right, most folks had to make a, if you're in the industry, everyone had to make a conscious decision. 
or you in or you out, right? And a lot of folks got out and did something different. And folks like you made a conscious decision, a commitment to stay. Um, why did you make that decision? And I guess, why did it work out? Well, one of the things is that we were postured very well for a downturn. So as, a, as an owner of a company, you know, you have to be able to control your expenses, uh, the amount of debt that you've got, the amount of exposure that you've got to, you know, cyclical changes. Uh, you have to be able to be scalable. And what we were always doing, because as, as we've all seen, you know, there's cycles in this business. But the interesting thing about the mortgage industry, to a great extent, it's, it's somewhat recession-proof. And people are going to scratch their head and say, what is he talking about? Well, generally, when the economy's good, people buy homes. When the economy starts to fail, there's generally an opportunity because interest rates are going to drop so we get business through refinances, which we're experiencing currently right now because of the threat or the, the, the possibility of a recession. So our business is cyclical, but most of the cycles that I've experienced in my career, they don't last that long. Yeah. And oftentimes we're already in the cycle before they announce it. And the transition from recession or downturn in market to an active market generally is no more than three, three to four months. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be positioned so that you can live through those cycles or that transition period. And what we saw in, you know, 2007 or beginning and then in 2008 is that we were positioned very well, um, didn't have any debt within the company, and we'd actually save some money, which is one of the, the key things that I would emphasize to anybody that, that uh, is in the mortgage business is that you've, you've got to save for those transition times. And Al, you always operated as a broker. You, you didn't really have any legacy issues. You were able to stay nimble, correct? Well, that was a, you know, a decision that, um, that we had made. And partly not out of any great insight, but mostly out of fear. Uh, we had worked so hard to build our company. And you know, many of my peers that, that went along the route of mortgage banking at that time they had some big problems when it came came time to settle up uh, because they could have done everything absolutely correctly, but they had challenges because they were being requested for buybacks, for technical deficiencies in loans. We had brokered everything, and, and we were you know doing a significant amount of volume at that time, but we didn't have any legacy issues. So, well... All you know, the, our peers that were still in business, they were spending money that they may or may not have had on fighting legal battles. We took the money that we had saved, we used that to go out to the market and acquire clients during the time that they were too busy just trying to keep the doors open. So it created a, a giant, you know, paradigm shift 
in our market and allowed us to gain a tremendous amount of market share while other people were, you know, fighting their battle. So you stay nimble. Interesting. We, yeah, stay nimble. Uh, we had a had a an inter- interesting call because we had a, a PMI company call us, and the PMI company was trying to settle a claim for for one of our uh, partners, and they go, you know, this is crazy, but we've called fifteen companies today, and you guys are the only guys that answered the phone. All the rest of them were gone. Jeez. And and we were like, well, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. <laughs> Well, it's good. Ended up being good news. Stay nimble, save your money, and like you say, while others are uh, trying to figure it out, you you were able to double down, right? Gain share. That's exactly what we did. Al, to be in the business for almost four decades at a very successful level, you got to love what you do. You know, you got to enjoy uh, enjoy the game, right? Why do you love what you do? What is it about mortgages that you love? Well, it's a lifestyle. I mean. That you have the opportunity to meet so many interesting people, and some of the opportunities in meeting these people. Uh, for example, we do—I personally do. My wife and I—we do uh, home development. Well, one of the clients that I met that was a buyer of the homes in Newport Beach, one of the 125, turns out to be a home builder, and his hobby was buying first phase of new tracks, which was very popular in Southern California in the heyday. And, you know, by the time they got to the last phase, there could have been a, a value appreciation of anywhere from 25 to 100%. That's how hot the market was. But I met this individual by him being a client. We ended up becoming friends then becoming partners in a home development company, which created an opportunity. So the, the lifestyle aspect of it is you just you never know who you're going to meet, and you don't have any idea what potential that relationship could, could lead you to. And that's just one of many relationships that I've been able to establish because of the lifestyle, because of the business. That's great. Another thing I love about working with brokers all across the country is getting to know their culture, right? Everyone's built a different culture. What is it that is unique about the culture at United American Mortgage Corp? Well, uh, where we started, we never lost the basis of our business identity, and that was to have a platform that was loan originator centric. So the, the biggest example in what's a giant attraction for individuals that come to work for us is that I still originate. So, and, I, and the reason that I always continue to originate was because A, I wanted to be able to put food on my family's table without regard for the, for the market. If the company didn't make it, I but most importantly, I wanted to stay relevant. Yeah. I did not want to be the guy behind the desk saying, well, in the good old days, this is how we did this. I live and breathe mortgage, and I experience what my people are experiencing on a day-to-day basis so that I can, I know their pain, 
I know when maybe funding isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, or maybe our investors aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, but also recognizing when somebody's doing something right and being able to bring it to the attention of the rest of our group because that makes us all stronger and knowledge is, is power-based. That's so great. That's great advice. Relevancy I mean, is, you know, that's, that's the big key is to remain relevant. Yep. Hey, I was an originator for years and I work with a lot of great leaders, but the best, to your point, they love the game and they would get, you know, whether it was on the phone or face-to-face, they would present loans and they would take tough calls and they would do it in front of the folks that they led and even fail. And sometimes watching um, the, the leader of an organization fail is just as motivating as watching him succeed. So, um, yeah, spot on. Well, there's, spot there's, on. there's the human aspect of it. I mean, you, everybody makes mistakes. But one of the greatest things that, that I learned during, during my career is that oftentimes the transaction that is most difficult, that has the most problems, ends up being the greatest future referral source because it comes down to how did you solve the problem? How did you deliver the message to the individuals, which is, of course, the bad news? Yep. Or the, as I look at it, is what what opportunity do we have here to fix something? Yep. Yeah, so that's it's, where... It's not that it's a problem. It's an opportunity. And, you know, we're... To your point, you're often defined on how you deal with adversity rather than how you deal with success. Yeah, spot on. Mortgages are messy. Building a business is messy. Building anything great is messy. And you're right. People watch what you do. Um, you know, when it's when it's a time of where some people may panic or freak out. How composed and solution focused are you? And to your point, whether it's a referral source or a LO that works with you. That's where you can gain uh, gain confidence for sure. Let me ask you a question. Well, we, we've actually oh sure yeah no it, go ahead go ahead. No, I was going to say it's it's amazing because our competition, and this is what a lot of people fail to realize, your competition is always watching. Yep. And our greatest recruiting tool is how our competition views us and the experience that they see our clients receiving and then they want to join our team because a lot of the things that we do are lacking in the group that they may be with. That's great advice. So you're speaking to brokers across America. You're very successful if you had to give them one piece of advice, whether they're building their own business or whether they're building their book of business, being an originator, what would your biggest piece of advice be, Al? To be truthful, honest, and communicative with your clients. It, 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 sharing good news or bad news, it, it all comes down to delivering the information and then being a solution-based source. Our, our company has always been based on, our, 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 our motto is trusted, tried, and true. And we try to live up to that each and every day and on each and every transaction. And it's just about 
delivering on what you say you're going to do. And if you know you can't do something, then you need to let people know immediately and why it didn't happen and offer a solution. It's great advice. You know, I think sometimes you can gain serious confidence, whether it's with a client, a realtor, you know, for us, our broker partners, by telling people, I don't know. Because to your point, you know, being honest and sincere, you know, there's so many times in business, somebody tries to BS their way through the day, right? And, and gives an answer they're not confident. But confidence can be built by just saying, you know what, it's a great question. I simply do not have the answer, but I'm going to figure it out versus just yeah, trying gonna, to give an I'm answer. I'm going to go sort it out and figure out, and I, I'm going to go and get that answer for you. Being sincere, being honest, it's an emotional business. It's a big transaction. You got to be able to listen to folks and uh, and deliver. So, awesome. It's all about delivering and delivering consistently and taking care of your client. Well, Al, this is awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and our broker partners out there. Very, very valuable stuff. And um, we appreciate you being on the Stronger Together podcast. And heck, maybe we'll have you back. I appreciate that. Thank you. Look forward to the opportunity. All right, Al. Thanks, brother. Thanks.